Hey, it's Michael, and welcome to another podcast episode. Before I get into today's episode, we wanted to make an offer to you. If you go to firmsconsulting.com, you will see a pop-up or you'll see a place to add in your email address or you can register on the Firms Consulting website. If you register onto that website, you get put into an exclusive list. And what you get in that exclusive list is samples of the content we have available to FC Insiders. So that said, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. What I want to talk about now is organizational culture. I'm sure you've heard this term like a billion times. It's one of the hottest topics around the world. Right? Every professor and his grandmother is writing a book about organizational culture and how culture is a competitive weapon and how it's the secret sauce to the cooking that is your company. The point is everyone talks about culture. And in this study, culture is, I would say, fundamental. In any organization, it's fundamental. But in a turnaround or a transformation study where you're putting an entire company on a completely new path, it's even more important. It's important because you can't really do anything until you understand the culture, right? And I want to discuss two important points in this podcast. One is how do you understand the culture of an organization? And two, the difference between, or at least this idea that there's a difference between leadership culture and employee culture. So let's start with the first one about how you understand the uh, culture of an organization. Now, organizational design experts, and we have a couple in the study, will go out of their way about how they're going to do these surveys and culture interventions and these deep dives and these thermometer drops and these precision insertions to extract information about what the organization thinks. And I've seen it. I've seen them do this at the power utility. I've seen many companies come in before we arrived that come in and they do an organizational study. We went in, we did an organizational study, the culture survey, we did all these surveys asking employees what they felt. Now, I have a very simple view of this because I'm a bit of an old school partner. I don't think you need these culture surveys. I don't think you need them. I think you don't need them because there's a much better survey to do and it's not called culture survey. It's called the incentive structure of a company. It doesn't matter what people tell you. It doesn't matter if people are sitting there and telling you, oh my God, we have the most amazing culture in the world. I love my employees. I bake cupcakes for them every day. I just want to hug them and kiss them and take care of them for the rest of their lives. It doesn't matter if employees say that. Because employees tell you good things when they're being paid well, even if the culture sucks. If you pay the most vicious and vile and greedy and corrupt banker in the world a lot of money, he will say wonderful things about the firm where he works. If you pay the most nefarious lawyer a lot of money, he will say wonderful things. People generally don't speak up when they're paid well, right? But the incentivization structure of a company can dictate behavior. I'll give you a simple example of this, right? Let's look at the consulting firms who use the billable model. I have a podcast about this in the case interview section of the uh, case interview channel Firms Consulting Runs, but I'm going to bring it up here. People always talk about billable hours being bad, but, but billable hours are not bad. Billable hours are a fantastic model, but billable hours as used by most consulting firms, I would say by all consulting firms, is bad. So the idea is not bad, the way it's used is bad. And let me explain what I mean by this. 
If you've got five associates who are pretty good friends or senior consultants who are pretty good friends at a firm like Deloitte and so on, right? Which is a good firm, but all good firms have some things they can fix. And these guys are measured on billable hours. Now, they're going to have two problems with this. Firstly, they're going to compete. They're going to withhold information if they know projects are coming up so that they can get onto it to be billable. They're not going to say, hey, Peter, this great project has come up, but I think you have better skills to be on this project, so why don't you go onto it and I'll wait for the next one. Of course, they're not going to do that. So when you pass the ownership of billable hours to the junior person, when you make being billable the role of the junior person, they hoard good projects so that they can be billable. But there's another more nefarious long-term problem. When... An employee only wants to be billable. He's not going to take projects that round out his skills and abilities. He's going to take projects that keep him billable. So the goal is to be billable. It's not to be a great consultant. And that's how the incentive structure drives the culture. Because it drives the hoarding of information. When you find out there's a good project coming up, you don't tell everyone. When you know there's a project coming up that's great with less billable hours, Versus another one which is horrible with long billable hours, you'll take the long billable hours project and you'll become bitter and disappointed. But the incentive structure drove this. So when you're looking at any organization, look at the incentive structure. Look at what they need to do to get paid. What do they need to do to get a bonus? What do they need to do to get promoted? What happens if they report bad behavior? What happens if they blow the whistle? Look at all the options they have to be remunerated and look at all of the options that are available for them to be punished. If you list that on a sheet of paper, that's going to tell you the culture of an organization, not some survey. The survey sometimes is right, but a lot of times it can be misleading, especially when an organization is doing well. A culture survey is always misleading. When an organization is doing bad, a culture survey can also be misleading. It can be misleading because sometimes employees follow narratives. They heard something and they just repeat it without any basis of fact. But the incentive structure never lies. So this is one thing we've learned, right? So while you know, all the organizational design consultants have been going around and doing surveys, what I've asked the value analysis team to do is pull up the incentive structure for me. And I want to see what happens to promote, reward, and punish employees. And not just on paper, but what has actually happened. So it's one thing to say, this is what's on paper. Go back and say, okay, give me an example of someone who complained, of someone who blew the whistle on something. How were they treated? Give me an example of someone who came up with a great idea to increase productivity. How were they remunerated? So the paper version is still not good enough. You have to look at, you have to look at examples of what actually happened. And if you, know, if you want to design a culture survey, that's maybe a good way to design a culture survey. Get a list of all the incentives and all the things that will get people punished. Ask for examples of what happened when they did the good things and the bad things. And that can become your culture survey. I find that to be a far more effective survey than what co companies are now doing. Because the problem is it's very misleading. And it's not getting into the heart of the problem. So that's the first issue we found on the study. Like when we did use this corroboration technique, which I think has worked very well, and it's something we will definitely formalize and use much more in other studies. Then the other problem I'm going to raise, which is maybe not politically correct, but heck, I'm here to teach people, so I'll raise it anyway. 
whenever I read about a country, any country, you know, and I hear about the good, hard-working, righteous, God-fearing people who are just trying their best to pay their bills, and it's the corrupt elected officials who are wrecking everything, I think to myself, well, this is a democracy. You have the right to vote, right? If you voted for those people who are now wrecking things, why don't you just vote them out of power, right? So don't complain, do something about it. If you're telling me that the leadership is a problem and you have the chance to get rid of the leadership and you're not getting rid of the leadership, then you're the problem, not the leadership. The second issue I have here is that the leaders, elected officials come from the people, then isn't it obvious to say the culture of the leadership is a representation of the culture of the people because the leadership is just a subsegment of the population. It's like having a lot of fish in the ocean and you drag a net through. Statistical probability tells you that since it's roughly a representation of the population, if the leadership is corrupt, that means it's the culture of the population of the fish that's corrupt, right? Now, what do I mean by this? What I mean by this is that you know, a lot of culture studies we do when it comes to leadership, we kind of make this ridiculous assumption that the leaders are some bad people that were brought in by an alien nation and have no representation to the employees. And I don't fall for that nonsense. The reality is this. If the culture of the leadership is corrupt, well, maybe I'm using the word corrupt but strongly, but the culture of the leadership is a problem. It's usually because it's the culture of the organization that's a problem. It's very rare where you have this wonderful, utopian employee culture where everyone gets up in the morning, sings songs, put on their working outfits, skip to work, and just wants to do good things. And yet, they somehow have this corrupt leadership. That's very rare. It happens in situations where maybe it's a family-owned company and you cannot change the leadership. Maybe the CEO has so much voting power the board cannot remove him. But in most companies where employee dissatisfaction can change leadership and where the board is very effective, poor leadership is a representation of the employee culture and not a representation of leadership. And it's one of the things I've been very aggressive with on the study because, you know, this utility has had a lot of recycling of leadership over the last 10 years. I mean, lots of new leaders have come in. And each time they pick someone from within the ranks to run the company, and they say, oh, the leader is corrupt and the people are wonderful. Let's pick within the ranks. But what I'm trying to get them to understand is that no one's corrupt. You've got a leadership problem and it stems with the employee base. The leaders are not any worse than the people and the people are not any better than the employees and vice versa. And if you really want to fix the culture problems, you've got to fix the incentive structure to get the employees to do the right things. Then you have to hire those people that will honor the incentive structure and not pervert it. And then those who embrace the incentive structure and the values and do the right things, you promote them into leadership roles. But you never, ever are going to find some amazing leader. Well, it's possible, but it's rare to find some amazing leader within the bulk of the organization, if the bulk of the organization has a culture that you don't think is conducive to doing outstanding work. This is why companies parachute in external leaders, right? Like when Lou Gerstner went to IBM. IBM wasn't corrupt, they were just lazy. And maybe incompetent when he went in, right? And he had to drive a cultural change from the top. He was an external person. Which is why when you're trying to change the culture of an organization, you don't promote from within. Now, we have strongly advocated a new leader needs to come in. Well, actually, if you read the study, we've strongly advocated this company shouldn't exist any further. And our recommendation is most likely going to be endorsed, right?
But the point is this, when you're dealing with cultural changes, it's very easy to fall for this trap of just changing the leadership and everything will change. If you change the leadership and you want everything to change, you've got to bring in a leader who has a different cultural model and he'll push that onto the organization. If you're just hiring someone from within and expecting that, well, he's going to be different from the culture you imported him from, you're going to be sadly mistaken. So to wrap up here, the two things you've got to remember is one, you want to understand the culture of any organization. It doesn't matter what they say. doesn't matter how well the employees are rating the organization. doesn't matter if everything looks hunky-dory. You look at the incentive structure and the penalty structure. And you look at how they have responded to that. Second, don't assume that organizations are selecting these corrupt and terrible leaders from this utopian employee mass. The reality is that if the culture of the leadership is not great, it's because the culture of the general employee base is not great. No one's wrong. No one's committed a crime. But for whatever reason, the culture is not working and you've got to drive a change, which is why you need external blood in. It's never going to change from within. As always, if you have any comments or questions, I'll be happy to take them. Please feel free to tell me your own thoughts about dealing with organizational change. And I'll be more than happy to provide my own feedback and talk you through more in terms of what we see happening in the study. As always, the questions we receive help us develop the podcast we're going to release. So I hope you enjoy that, and I hope you will listen to the podcast that follow. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special offers, the only way to get our special pricing, and the only way to get samples of our content is to join the list on firmsconsulting.com. It's the only way also to get access to our unique advanced content that we make available to insiders. So if you want to get a sneak peek of things, test it out, see what's in there, this is the place to go. And finally, I want to thank you again for making us one of the largest podcast channels around the world for careers and for the 2 million downloads and counting.